Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that uh, you are here joining us uh, for worship services. And of course, for those online, welcome. So glad uh, that uh, you are with us. I want to start with a uh, slightly less than scientific poll by show of hands. The question is whether this is good news or bad news. So you get a new job with more money and more responsibility. All who think that that is good news, raise your hand. All right? Those of you who think that's bad news, raise your hand. Far less. All of you who think this is a trick question. I have a trust problem here. All right, new neighbors. They move into the house right next to yours. They are crazy cool people. They are financially super well off. Oh yeah, and they are particularly beautiful. Show of hands, is this good news? Wow, a lot less there, not so sure. Is this bad news? Yep, a couple. And how many say this is definitely a trick question? Yep, all right, we got a few more for that. Your kid, last one, your kids bring home a new pet without asking. Good news? Show of hands. Bad news? Oh, it depends on it's a cat or dog? All right, so we'll do that. If it's a, no, just kidding. You ever notice that no matter what happens in life, no matter what step you take, it can lead to the possibility of either more Christ-likeness or it can lead to a greater separation between you and God. Every single circumstance, every situation, and every single decision that you make will move you in one direction or in the other. So every decision, every step, every action, every thought that you allow to stay in your mind, it will either lead you closer to Jesus or it will leave you, lead you further away. It's remarkable how this happens. See, we're talking here about the superlative Christian life. That's what this whole series has been about, the over-the-top, most excellent Christian life possible. And so we've been looking at how you get it. How do we live it? And so we started by talking about the love that we have for God and then how to love people. And then last week we started on this, how do we grow up in Christ? And we were looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2. So I encourage you to open up in a Bible to Romans 12, 1 and 2, because I know it's only two short verses, but we did not get to everything that I wanted to talk about last week, and so uh, we're going to be going just a little bit deeper into that same text, Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. I'd like once again for us to read this text together. So as soon as you have Romans 12, 1 and 2, go ahead and stand if you're here in the room. Actually, you can stand if you're home as well. Uh, it'll be a little weird, but it'd be fun to see if you all do it. All right, so the people are standing up all over here. When you find it, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we're going to read it out loud together. Ready? With the therefore. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. So by way of review from last week, because this is kind of part two of the message, um, so by way of review, which, you know, whenever we do this review thing, it always feels like previously at beacon.church. Like I feel like we're watching like the beginning of a... All right, so anyway, we, we learned last week that we are imitative by nature, that our lives will either look like the way of the world, or we will look more and more like the way of God. And the text also talked about living sacrifices, and we talked about that quite a bit last week, because the, the idea of a living sacrifice is awesome, right? You are living, not dead. So that's good news, because a sacrifice would have been a dead sacrifice, but we get to be living sacrifices. So we get to honor God with our lives, rather than having to die in order to be a sacrifice for him. So that's great news. But we also noted a little bit of a problem with living sacrifices is we tend to wriggle off of the altar because we are living. And that means that we, if we get to wriggle off the altar, so to speak, it means we also get to choose to live for ourselves rather than for God. And so we looked at a diagram that we kind of built uh, stage by stage to say it starts, according to Romans 12.1, it starts when we decide to trust in God's mercy. According to the text, God's mercy is where all of this thing begins. Then, we have to, once we have said we're going to base our whole lives on the mercy of God, then we're going to move into this place of full surrender, which means the whole of your life. It's not a part of the sacrifice, right? A part of the animal that was, was laid there on the altar. The whole of the animal was laid on the altar. So we are laying the whole of our lives before him. Body, soul, spirit. The whole of our lives are being surrendered. But it has to be based on our understanding of God's mercy first and foremost. Then, once we surrender the whole of our lives, we now get to start resisting. When the way the scripture says it there is, no, do not conform to the image of this world, to the pattern of this world. And if we're not conforming, if we're not being pressed into the mold of this world, we get to be pressed into the mold of God. So we resist being conformed into the image of the world. We spent some time talking about that last week. Then we said you have to renew the mind. And that's actually where we're going to kind of camp uh, today. Uh, we're, going to we're going to figure out a little bit more about how to renew the mind. And that cycle, as it continues in your life, leads to transformation. And that transformation word that was here shows up elsewhere in the text, especially in the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was just completely transformed before uh, his apostles, a couple of his, his guys. But the, the real beautiful thing is that transformation was so radical, and that's the same word that's now used of us. And so the expectation is that we will be metamorphosized, that we will be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And when that happens, we will begin to discern and desire God's will. 
so many people always asking, what's God's will for my life? This is how you get to God's will. You depend on his mercy. You decide to trust in it. You increasingly surrender your life by resisting being conformed into the image of this world and then by the renewal of your mind, which leads to more dependence on his mercy. That leads to transformation, which leads to an increasing discernment and desire for God's will, which means in your own heart, you will want the things of God. So it will be less about you working through it and struggling and, and trying to, to whip yourself up into an obedience kind of a frenzy, but instead you will actually desire it more and more and more. And as you desire it more and as you understand it more, you discern it more, you will be increasingly transformed. And as you're increasingly transformed, of course, you see where this goes. It's a beautiful cycle of growth in Christ. All right. Then we also saw that the verse uh, from last week pointed to the two paths that we are always faced with and uh, how incompatible they are and hostile to each other. But I want to just talk about that for just a, a touch more this morning because we, we like to think of the Christian life as simply a choice, right? There's, there's two easily marked roads and as long as you can just see them then you're going to know well this way is going to lead to God and this way is going to lead away from God and so we, we have this idea that it's really going to be kind of a piece of cake and then you get into the the Christian life and you realize that the path doesn't look quite like that it looks more like this it's just like what the how am I how am I, where am I going to go how am I going to what's the next step where's the exit how do I get back on if I fall off you know, there's suddenly this complexity as we're trying to figure out what God would like us to do next. How do I live for him? What, what's the next step in my journey with him? And so we end up feeling like, oh man, it's more like this. But what, what we tend to do is we tend to think that as long as we are on a path here or a path over there, if we've picked the right one, we're in good shape. So, you, you know, you almost imagine it like a giant field. And in the field, there are two paths that kind of meander through the field. But the reality is, any moment you step off of the path that God has you on, you're in enemy territory. The whole of the landscape is his. That's why the way is broad and easy and many will find destruction. Whereas the way of Christ is narrow and more challenging, and few find it. See, it's more, I like the image of more like this, like a, you know, that, that's the path that God has for you. And you step off one side or the other. So it doesn't really, it, it doesn't really matter if, you know, you're kind of leaning that way or leaning this way a little bit. Everything outside of God's path will actually pull you away from him. This is an important part for Christians to sort of lock into their mind. So let's say you become a, a Christian and you realize, you know, I've been lazy at work. And that doesn't really seem like a Christian value. So you're like, all right, I'm going to get on, I'm off the path now. I'm going to get on the path of right Christian living. So I'm going to start working really, really hard. And you start working really, really hard to the neglect of your family. How did it get better? How did you actually get back onto the right path? 
You thought hard work was going to be the thing, but then hard work became the very thing that pulls you away. You see how, you see how complicated now this can end up being, how nuanced really this journey with God has to be. This is also why Christians do not fit in any political party, if you will allow me a soapbox for just a moment. Both parties in America have a few ideals that are biblical, and both parties have many ideals and practices that are of this worldly age. So what do you do? See, it's not just a matter of moving away from one into the other one. You can't just simply, now we talked about this you know, during election season, so I'm not going to rehash all of it. But the point here is that, you know, there are practices in both. Like, you, you, maybe you're, you've been watching some of, the, some of the gender ideology questions that are going on right now. There's this craziness out there about all this kind of stuff, things that even a few decades ago we never even would have imagined we would be talking about. These are not values that are in line with God's way. We know that. We can see it in the scriptures. So people go, oh, well, that must mean we go to the other side. And then you see a golden statue of Trump. I mean, come on. You know, there was another golden statue in the scriptures. It's a fun story to read. You know, we look at this and we think, all right, what's going on, right? There's this, there's this perversion, this thing that's going on right now in, in, in some Christian circles. Christian nationalism. That's what we're calling it, right? That's what they're, they're starting to write about. Christian national. When, since when were Christians nationalists? Since when did we think that this was our home? I thought we were strangers and foreigners here. I thought we were citizens of another kingdom. You see, so we have all of these things, right, going on. So, what does this mean? It means that our values ought to increasingly diverge from those of the world. And you can't simply say that, well, I have to lean a little more to the right or then a little more to the left. Here's the reality. There are biblical values that are further left than the left, and there are biblical values that are further right than the right. So it's not even a matter of pressing one way or the other. You see, it's not even a matter of standing in the middle and thinking you've got it. The path of God is the path of God. That's the one that we need to attain. We can't make it through a single movie or listen to a song on the radio or some sort of entertainment, a play, or whatever it might be, without something trying to shape our world in a way apart from God's way. That means it is a constant state of vigilance. The mind has to be sharpened so that it can discern these things. Now, the phrase that I looked, that I didn't look at last week, that I really wanted to kind of focus on now, was the part that encouraged us to the renewing of the mind. And I want to offer two cognitive exercises that will help us renew the mind, all right? Two cognitive exercises. If you are a note taker, then this is the first cognitive is going to be the essential thought that we must hold before the mind. And then there will be the essential question that the mind must continually ask. And I think if we do these things, if we hold an essential thought in our minds and we continue to ask this essential question, we will be a long ways toward renewing our mind the way the scriptures call us to. So the first exercise, the first cognitive exercise, the essential thought is this. We have to hold this before our minds 
all day long, my deepest satisfaction is found in God alone. My deepest satisfaction is found in God alone. So, what does that mean? Well, it means lots of things. One in particular is that the stuff that God gives you is not finding your deepest satisfaction in God alone. The blessings of God are not you finding satisfaction in God alone. Because it isn't the blessings that we're trying to wring out of God's hand. And how do we do that? Well, we know how. We often say if, we're, if we are really, really good, if we're well-behaved, if we do good things, God will bless us. And if we avoid evil, well, then God will bless us. And in our minds, we think that there is a transaction going on. But the scriptures tell us that the way God works is that we get something for nothing. We get something for nothing. Why does this matter? Because I think in this way, you can compare the path of God, its core values, with what we see in the world, which is what you could really call a path of quid pro quo. Something for something. Quid pro quo. And I got to tell you, I think this is the primary way that most Christians fail to follow God's path. This, this issue right here. So you're on this road toward God, and what does it look like there? Well, it means that you recognize that there is nothing that you can get in this world that will truly satisfy you. Nothing. Because only God will be your satisfaction. And on this path, you increasingly simply want God. And you will settle for nothing less than God's presence. And you will reject the idea that God's blessings come to you because of quid pro quo. The way the world says that things operate here is that everything you want in this life is within your grasp. You guys know this. This is, this is the way that we have been we, we have been accustomed to living, and it's the way the whole of society encourages us to live. It is actually the way that most every single world religion teaches you to live. What you want most in this life is within your grasp, and you must do what you can to obtain it. Quid pro quo. Another way of saying this, you scratch my back and... I'll scratch yours. We know all these things, which, by the way, I don't think we're allowed to do anymore in COVID, so don't be doing any scratching of backs. Not yet. Not till we all vaccinate or whatever we have to do next to start scratching again. Another one is what? A little bit of give and take. One hand washes the other. That's more COVID. That's good. We like that. This is all of these ideas of quid pro quo, and this is a path that leaves you in control of your life. If you work hard, if you make the right decisions, then you will have a better life with nice things, with good health, and you will be happier. 
but I hear what you're saying. I, I, I know the wheels are turning. like, yeah, but isn't that really the way it ought to work? Like, didn't you read Proverbs? Like, don't you know that this is actually even biblical? And this is where things get, they get, start to get really, really dicey. Because Christians pursue their own version of quid pro quo with God. And for many of us, we actually believe it's what makes us good Christians. So I want to talk to you guys about growing in Christ, but I feel like if I do that, I'm only going to pile on and open up more pathways for you to pursue a quid pro quo relationship with God. And I am nervous that if I do that, you will be further from God in the end. You can be on one side or the other of this thing. You could be on his path or off of his path. But let's say that you were a person that you reject the way of God and you pursue quid pro quo in the world. And then all of a sudden you say, oh my goodness, I am going to abandon that whole track of the world and I am going to jump into following Jesus. And what you end up doing is abandoning the path of the world and jumping into a baptized Christianized version of the same quid pro quo, which makes it even harder for you to see that you're still living in the path of the world. Right, Christians, we have all of our own rules that if we follow them, that we believe life will work out. And if you break them, well, then bad things are most likely going to happen to you. I mean, how many times have people questioned, well, you're still sick, you're ill, we've prayed. You didn't get better. It must be a lack of faith. Quid pro quo. If you muster up more prayers, more faith, more believing faith, then God has to do what you want. You want really good kids. We know how to have really good kids, right? How do you, how do you raise really good kids? Follow the biblical principles. Train them up in the way they'll go. And when they're older, they won't depart from them, except for one little problem. It doesn't always work out that way. There's that. Well, we know exactly how we can have a good marriage, right? If, if you want to have a good Christian marriage, that's a piece of cake, man. You just learn to love like Jesus loved. That's all. If you know the five love languages, that's nearly biblical. It's hidden in Leviticus somewhere. <laughs> like, if you just do that, then we know that your marriage is going to be awesome. Except it, it sometimes isn't. You see, we're living in this principles that is just a baptized version of quid pro quo. And, and here's the thing, often it works out because in fact the, the Christian way is a wise way of living in this world. And it just reinforces for us then that this really whole Christian thing really must work on the same something for something criteria. If you're good enough, God will love you and God will reward you. This week I was reading a story, was about, I was thinking about Jonathan Edwards who's America's greatest uh, theologian, died young. Everyone's like, why? What happened? Why would he die so young? That's terrible. Must have been something going on in his life. Why would he die so young? Nelson Mandela. Absolutely incredible figure in so many ways. Fighting apartheid, South America president, the, the South Africa president, the whole thing. Beautiful. Unbelievable story. Using his principles, uh, Christian principles, and, and living them out it, like an absolute hero. And 
you find out, I was reading the story, and I found out he had lost a child. It's like, why would that happen? How could God do that to someone like that? Why would God allow that? And you think, well, you know, there was some, a couple of little scandals associated with his life. Maybe, maybe that's what happened. See, we can't help but think that this is the way faith works, that Christianity works. When you live by God's way and you seek him first and foremost, nothing that this world offers and none of God's blessings will supplant our love and our devotion to God. No amount of suffering and no amount of heartache will pull you away from God. Because you're not looking for an exchange. You're looking for the presence of God. And no matter what it takes to obtain the presence of God, you will pursue. We have to hold this essential thought before our minds all day long. My deepest satisfaction is found in God alone. And keep that before your mind all the time, over and over, over and over. All right, the exercise, the essential, the next essential question, I should say, the second exercise, the essential question. What would love do? What would love do? So you're training your mind to pursue God first and foremost above all else in life. What comes next? See, if you've got that locked down, then you're not going to start a works righteousness kind of life. So now you get to ask a simple and beautiful question in this moment, what would love do? What does it actually look like? One of my uh, all-time, you know, I think one of the most beautiful songs out there is Imagine by John Lennon, right? I mean, does anyone not like that song? I mean, I feel like you, you, I don't know, it's just absolutely beautiful, and it's just riddled with crazy theology, right? So, in there, Lennon, of course, is highlighting one of the great problems with humanity, which is tribalism. And we see it again, we're seeing it now again, and you know, ever since the Tower of Babel, like I think we can all agree that he, he really kind of jumped on something in this song. But he has some lyrics in there, right? Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try no hell. I should sing this for you. No hell, oh, above us, only sky. So, so that means we're now, we're now being encouraged to take our truth about these incredibly important issues of life from a song rather than from God. And I'd say, you know, I think I'd rather not. Right? So you go on. Imagine all the people living for today. That sounds so beautiful. Live in this moment. Live for today. Unless, of course, that means that you can abuse and use the earth in any way you want. I mean, if we're living only for today, then I don't really need to worry about the world that I leave for my kids and my grandkids. Just live for today. Live for this very moment. Tell that to the person that didn't save anything for the future. Didn't plan how to, you know, take that large project and, and, and make it work. Imagine there's no countries. It's hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. People killed long before there were nation states. And they will kill long after them as well. Imagine all the people living life in peace, and yet as a history of an abuser and a neglectful dad. He talks about imagining no possessions from his posh New York City apartment. Like, you know, you get to see all of the hypocrisy laid out in it, and all of it is an attempt to take the truth, whatever, whatever truth they have, 
and say, well, that's what love looks like. It's a dangerous game. If we want to know what love looks like, then you need to go to the source of love. So you get to ask yourself, is dating that guy loving or not? Is it loving to you? Is it loving to him? Is it loving to his wife? Is giving that money or saving that money loving? You see, it's going to depend on the circumstances, but it's going to be framed by what God says is loving. Is eating that cheesecake loving to yourself? It could be. Is rebuking your friend loving or not? Is bringing home a new puppy for your wife without telling her first loving or not? Hey, babe. Just saying. See, we start to ask these, and, and some of these are simply going to be found in the scriptures. So you've got, you want to know how to renew the mind, you want to know what loving is, then you've got to know your word, you've got to know the scriptures. Right? Don't marry a non-Christian. Marry someone who will love you like Jesus loves you. We know that right from the scriptures. Don't have sex outside of marriage, but have great sex in marriage. All biblical. Absolutely, absolutely. Don't have an abortion. But love and be merciful and kind to the women who have had abortions. And if you've had an abortion, which I know many, many women have, then we have to learn to receive God's love and his forgiveness. That's there too, in the scriptures. Promises for us to take hold of. Not have to hide in shame anymore. Give money to the poor. Welcome foreigners. Stop being a racist. Share your faith. Help others come to faith in Christ. Like, there's a whole host of things that we simply know what loving looks like because the scriptures tell us. So know the scriptures. Learn the scriptures. There are also a whole host of principles that you can learn from that will help you in all sorts of other decisions. Right? You want to have another child or do you want to adopt instead? Or do you want to be foster care parents? There are principles in the scriptures that will help you know what the next loving thing is. You want to start helping out at a homeless shelter. There are principles. How do you do it? How does it work in the rest of life? What are the principles from God's word? What neighborhood should we live in? Do you think that's a decision that doesn't fall under what God's plan for your life is? There are even times where it's not even so much about just the straight-up teaching of the Bible or even the principles that we learn, but as you continue to grow in this, you will be led by the Spirit of God directly. There's just so much here in the Scriptures. If we keep this one essential thought before our mind, it will purify all of our pursuits of knowledge as we start to renew our minds and ask this simple question, what would love do here? What would love do here? Now, many of you have picked up throughout this series that we call superlative that we've been working our way straight through our mission statement, right? And so our mission here is to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. 
And so we introed the series. We had two weeks on loving God, personal and corporate. We had two weeks on loving people, personal and corporate. We're in the second week of Grow in Christ. The first week was about a personal growth in Christ. And this week, I want to talk a little bit more about the corporate aspect of that, meaning what we do together, corporate in that sense. And so for us, the one, the, the one of the things that we think is essential for you to have the superlative Christian life is to commit yourselves to a plan to grow in Christ. And for us, that involves this renewal of the mind. And so we have a great, this whole, we call it the spiritual formation pathway. And so we want people to attend church here so they can begin to know what it means to love God and then we want them getting into alpha so that they can get a taste of group life and after group life we want them to get into a small group where they can learn to love people and be loved by people the way a Christian community ought to love and then we want them to grow in Christ which means there's going to be this constant renewal and this learning and this growing we want you to be challenging yourself to do that and we want to participate with you and so we have created a discipleship classes plan and so this plan, you won't be able to read this because it, you can't. It's on the website and uh, it's available for you. But it is 30 classes that we offer. One of, we actually do between one and three a month. This is what uh, Sarah was just announcing happening next week. Sometimes we bring in guest speakers and sometimes we teach them uh, ourselves with our own uh, teaching staff. And these discipleship classes are a three-year curriculum. The classes are about two hours. So you're talking about a huge number of classes and hours that you would be able to commit to growing in Christ, to renewing your mind. And they're all about the doctrines of the Bible and the teachings of the scriptures. And this is a simple step that you can take so that you start to immerse yourself in God's word in a way that goes beyond what we're able to accomplish here on a Sunday morning. And so it, it starts off. We have Bible study methods. Why, did, why do you want Bible study methods? Because we want you to understand God's word for yourself. That's what we're hoping for. Is that you yourselves will be able to read, understand, and apply God's word to your life. So you will have this constant renewal at your fingertips. We have overview of the Bible classes so that you can see what God's plan for the world was. So that you can see where you fit in to God's plan for the world. We have classes on prayer and meditation so that you get to draw closer to God in your own personal devotional life. We explain in another class what repentance is all about, what it actually looks like, so that you can experience real forgiveness and get rid of shame and guilt. The scriptures speak on these things, and so we teach on these things to strengthen your journey. We have a class on spiritual warfare, because you've got to know the tricks of the enemy. We have one on the reliability of the Bible, and another on the goodness of God, so that you can get to a place where you actually will trust in his word and in the God who gave it to us. We have this whole long list and if you took them every single month, it would be three years of discipleship classes. And we want to help equip you. We want to give you classes that will encourage you to, to understand the resources you have as a follower of Jesus. We have classes that talk about gospel fluency and blessing your neighbor and social responsibility and biblical justice. 
just so you know how to love the people who need it most. You see, these are all just tools that are available to you, and I want to encourage you guys to consider it. We have a, as Sarah had mentioned, this is brand new. We're just starting it this month. Uh, some of you have been taking these classes for a couple of years. We're just getting into the third year now. And these, uh, these folders are out there in, uh, the, in the lobby for you, in the cafe. And it will list every class that happens in that year. This is the year one binder. And all of the note sheets that you are given when you're in those classes or they, that are getting handed out, they're all available for you. Because it is a blitzkrieg of information and learning that we give you. And now you'll be able to take it home, you'll be able to keep your notes, you'll be able to reference it back at a time when you know you're, you're, you're struggling with something, you want to learn something. And so this will end up being, uh, this will end up a, an amazing tool for any person that decides to invest in it. And I want to encourage you to do it, because here's the truth of the matter. We want to see each and every person become a missional disciple maker. We believe this is the superlative Christian life. And we are providing as many resources as is possible to bring you to this place where you will be able to see it, experience it, and live it to its fullest. That's our part in this process. But you are going to have to take that next step. We're praying for you. We're encouraging you to do it. We're asking that you would make a commitment, even here, even now, Maybe as we come to the Lord's table of saying, I'm going to pursue this superlative Christian life no matter where God points me next.